our Old Testament reading, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 1 through 25, Israel here gathering before the Lord at Mount Sinai in the wilderness. They've just been brought out of Egypt, and now he is coming to meet with them. And um, let's give our attention to these words. Exodus 19, 1 through 25, this is God's word. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down, Upon Mount Sinai, in the sight of all the people, you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. 
For you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. For our New Testament text, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, and to blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us such a clear view of who you are. Thank you for speaking in a way we can understand. Lord, we pray that you take this word, write it on our minds, instruct and teach us, correct us, train us, write it on our hearts, warm our affections for Christ. And Lord, write it on our wills that we might be aligned more and more with Christ our King. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we begin a new year, um, I wanted to take a, a few Sundays to to consider together a very important question for, for us as a church. Um, I'm eager to get back to the series in Matthew. I miss that. I, I love working through uh, a book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, but, but before we do that, I wanted to take a few Sundays and just think about what, what is our mission? What is our mission as a church? What, what is God calling Limington OPC to be and to do? And we never ask that question. 
I mean, we probably all have a pretty good sense of what it is. We, we've, most of us have been Christians for a long time. We, we understand some of these things from the scriptures, and, and we probably have a good sense for, for what the church is supposed to be doing. But if we don't step back from time to time and think about it self-consciously, carefully, then, then we're, we're not going to be moving in the direction God would have us to go with, with a lot of purpose. Um, think about it. If you, if you get in your car and you have no idea where you're going, what's going to happen? You might just sit there idling for a while, or you might go in the wrong direction. Right? You need direction, purpose, and you need it to be clear. Um, and so the church needs this as well. Um, the Lord has called us to something. He's called us to be something. He's called us to do something. He's given us a mission in this world. And uh, so we need to step back and say, well, what is that mission? Are we doing it? How can we do it? How can we, by God's grace, do it, do it better? Um, what, what we want as a church is to be faithful to what he's called us to do and, and fruitful in what he's called us to do, right? Isn't, isn't that what we desire? To be faithful to it, to know it, to understand it, and, and faithfully, by his grace, do what he's called us to do, and also to see fruitfulness from that as he blesses the means that he's promised to that end. So what is our mission that we need to be faithful and fruitful in? We'll take, we'll take uh, the next few Lord's Days through January, probably. Um, probably. Probably be through the end of January. Looking at this question, what has he called us to do? How can we be more faithful and more fruitful in it? Um, the, the three primary aspects that he's called the church to are worship, discipleship, and witness. So we'll be looking at each of those things in turn. Um, and this morning in particular, we'll be looking at this first one, which is worship. So let me ask, let me begin with this question. What is the most important thing that you will do this year? Uh, what is the most important thing you'll do this year? What's your top priority in 2023? You can think of a professional goal, right? A, a, perhaps a promotion or a project you want to accomplish or, or something like that. Or, or maybe your priority is a health goal that you have. Uh, there's a certain weight you'd like to be or, or there's, there's a certain uh, standard of health you want to meet. Uh, and, and you're thinking over those things. Or you're thinking family priorities this year. We didn't have enough family time last year. This year, more family time built in, uh, more downtime perhaps. Um, those are all good things, wonderful things to be thinking about as a new year starts. Um, but uh, the, the most important thing to consider is worship. This is what God has called us to do as individuals. He's called us to do this as, our, as families, and he's called us to do this as a church. There's nothing more important, is there, than, than worshiping him? In the text that we read, Hebrews chapter 12, we see this call, that God calls us to be a church devoted to worshiping him through Jesus with reverence and awe. God calls us to be a church devoted to worshiping him through Jesus with reverence and awe. I want to unpack that uh, using five questions as we walk through the text. Uh, five questions we'll ask the text. Um, the first question is, where do we worship? Where do we worship? It might sound like an obvious question, right? Uh, well, uh, the white church, 302 Secocus Ave in Limington, right? That's, that's where we worship. 
beautiful building here. Um, uh, it's a simple service, uh, simple uh, um, uh, service here that we, that we have at our church. Uh, there's no fancy robes or ornate rituals. Uh, there's just a lot of words. Um, and some people might even say, well, it, it's uh, rather, rather boring. You, you would never say that, but some people might say, well, it's just a lot of words here. Uh, there's, not, there's not a lot of excitement and drama. Um, a, a similar thing was happening uh, in, the, in the church that this letter called uh, this letter to the Hebrews was, was, was written to. The Christians that this letter is addressing are mostly those coming out of a Jewish background, and um, they remember where they used to worship and what that worship was like. They used to worship in the temple. They remembered the, the awe-inspiring building, the, 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 the gold, the curtains, the purple and scarlet, and the, the incense and the sacrifices and the priests with their robes and all the drama and the visuals there and, and all, all the sensory input they would, they would get there in that service at the temple. And now they've become Christians. And, and instead of that, they're probably meeting in someone's house. Simple. A lot of words praying together, maybe singing a psalm or two, breaking some bread together. Nothing. No, where's the drama? Where's the excitement? Where's the interest in that? And so they're, they're being tempted to consider maybe, maybe the temple was better. Maybe we had something better there. Added to that, there was all this social pressure on them to give up Christianity just because, yeah, because people did not like that, what, what, they, what they were saying about Christ. And, and, and they were rejecting people around them who rejected Christ Jesus and uh, didn't like that they were holding fast to Christ Jesus. And so some of the members of this church are in prison for their decision to become Christians. Um, and so this, they're looking back at the Old Testament way of doing things and it's looking attractive to them. And, and they're beginning to, to loosen up their grip on Christ and to drift from Christ. And, and so piece by piece, the author of this letter to the Hebrews, uh, writing under inspiration of the Spirit, has been building this case that the new covenant way of worship and, and everything else is superior to the old covenant, that, uh, that what we have in Christ is far, far better than anything that, that we lose when we, turn, turn to, than we turn, when we turn to him. And he's making this case here in chapter 12, especially about worship. So you have a better kind of worship than that temple worship. And in fact, you have a better kind of worship than the most intense worship experience of all in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, which was even better than the temple, even more impressive than the temple. He points them, he points them back to this scene in the Old Testament that we just read in Exodus. Mount Sinai, terrifying scene, right? The people are gathered there at the base of the mountain. God comes down on top of the mountain. And the mountain's shaking, and there's darkness on the top of the mountain, and there's fire, and the voice of God louder than thunder. People have been told they can't touch the mountain or they'll be killed for it. Um, it's, a, it's a terrifying, terrifying scene. And it, but it's an awesome scene. I think it's something that, that we, we would, in a sense, love to have seen uh, because it's just such, a, such an awe-inspiring and unforgettable moment. Um, could anyone have stood there any one of those Israelites at the base of the mountain have stood there, seen what was going on, heard what was going on, felt the earth shaking beneath them as they heard the voice of God, could they have stood there and said, God's not here today? Absolutely not, right? When we look at our worship service, no thunder and smoke, uh, no audible voice of God or trumpet blast from heaven. Is God here? 
So brothers and sisters, we need to understand where we are when we worship. Um, where we are when we worship. Uh, because when, when, what we don't see, we don't hear, right? The, 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 all, those, all those visible things and audible things in, in the worship service. But the author of the Hebrews tells us that, uh, that where we worship is actually better than, than the foot of Mount Sinai or the temple. Um, He's already told us that Jesus, our high priest, has, has gone into heavens, the highest heavens in God. And now he's saying, now you've gone up there with him. And in verse 22, he says, uh, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's saying, you're in Christ. Christ is in heaven. So you're in heaven. And it's especially the case when you gather with God's people to worship on the Lord's day, that you are there by the Spirit in heaven with him. That's an astounding thought. Right now, by the Spirit, where are you? Whose presence are you in? Where are you worshiping this morning? In heaven. We are surrounded. The text tells us all these things. We're surrounded by an innumerable company of angels, verse 22 says. Even as we are here this morning, can't see them? can't hear them, but by the Spirit, we're in heaven, and they're surrounding us as they cry out to the Lord, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We're in the presence of all the elect who've gone before us, verse 23 tells us. Noah, Abraham, David, right? All these great heroes of the faith, the prophets, the apostles, all the martyrs who've uh, gone before us uh, are there. uh, We are with them in the Spirit, in heaven as we worship. One of my professors at Westminster had a daughter who was stillborn. Um, his, uh, his wife carried the baby to, the baby to term, uh, but when she gave birth, they, they found out that da- this daughter was, was stillborn. And he used to tell us that one of the most precious things was going to church on Sunday and realizing that his little daughter was, he trusted, in heaven, and that as he worshipped with God's people, he was joining his voice with his daughter's voice in heaven. That the saints who have gone before us, we worship with them uh, in the Spirit. The, the hymn we're going to sing a little later in the service, The Church's One Foundation, speaks of this mystery. It says, The church on earth has union with God, the three in one, and mystic, sweet communion with those whose rest is one. When we come to worship, We're gathering with all the saints who've gone before us. But even more than all this, even more than being surrounded, even now, by a company of angels and in the presence of God, uh, with uh, with the millions and millions and millions of all God's elect, we're in the presence of God. God's very presence. We're at His feet. We are standing before His throne. Our Creator and Redeemer, His eye is on us. His ear is toward us. He's welcoming us. We're in the Holy of Holies with Him. What could be better? We worship in the very presence of God. What could be better? Sinai? The temple? They don't come close. Second question. First question was where we worship. We worship in the presence of God in heaven. The second question is through whom do we worship? This is the next thing the text addresses. Who, uh, through whom do we worship, right? You have that scene in the, at, at Mount Sinai. 
they worship God through a mediator. Moses goes up the mountain, and through Moses, Israel is represented, and they, they are meeting with God through that mediator. Who's our mediator? Uh, we, we need a mediator, don't we? We see this so much through Scripture. In ourselves, we have, we're saying we're in the presence of God, but we have no right to be in the presence of God. We don't have, a, we don't have any ground to stand on and say, yes, I belong here in the Holy of Holies before your face, Lord. Uh, worship is, uh, if, it, if we're really coming into the presence of God, it's a, it's a dangerous thing. It, it should be a deadly thing for a sinner to worship the Lord. Think of Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6, puts out his hand to steady the ark, and the holiness of God smites him dead on the spot. Um, right, sin cannot touch God. Sin cannot come into the presence of God. A sinner cannot come into the presence of God. Uh, when Adam and Eve sin in Genesis 3, they're exiled from the presence of God. They cannot get back to His presence on their own because they are sinners. We need a mediator to bring us into the presence of God. In the Old Testament, we get this picture of this mediation. It happens through, through, through what? Through, through the priest? And through the sacrifice. What, is the, what does the priest do with the sacrifice? He, he, he takes the animal, he slaughters the animal, and he, he takes the blood, and he sprinkles that blood. He sprinkles it, some on, 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 dips some on himself, some on the people. Um, and when, when you're sprinkled with that blood, it's saying, someone else has paid the price. The wages of sin is death. That death fell on someone else in my place. And so now I'm welcome into God's presence because the price of my sin is, has been paid. Um, in, in the new covenant, as we are meeting with God in the very heavenly presence of God, uh, we are sprinkled with the blood of no one less than Christ Jesus himself. Verse 24 says, We have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, whose sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is this reference to Abel about? Um, Think, think of the story of, of Abel there in Genesis chapter 4. Cain murders his brother, Abel. Uh, 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 he, he tries to hide it. Uh, God says, where's your brother? He says, my, my brother's keeper. I, I don't know where he is. But, but God says, his blood cries out against you, cries out from the ground, demanding vengeance, demanding justice. Abel's blood shouts for justice, for God, the judge, to bring the sinner what the sinner deserves. And, and all of us are in Cain's position by, our, by ourselves. We're, we've left a trail of blood behind us by our sin. And, and, and that, that sin cries out against us. Condemn him. He's a sinner. But the gospel is someone else's blood is crying out, speaking a word. Forgive him. The blood of Jesus speaks the better word, saying, Lord, have mercy on him. Lord, have mercy on her. Lord, have mercy on that one and on that one. His, his blood cries out, forgive and forget all of his sins. This is, this is how we come into the presence of God and receive his blessing and his grace and his smile through this sprinkling of the blood of Christ. This should be our prayer. Every time we come to worship, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you are holy, and I have no place in your presence, but you've poured out the blood of Christ. Sprinkle that blood on me once again that I might be cleansed and draw near to you through him. This should show us just how precious worship is. 
How precious it is to draw near to God and come into His presence. It costs the blood of Christ to bring you into the presence of God. What a precious thing it is to be here, receiving His blessing and His, and His grace. So where do we worship? We worship in heaven itself. Through whom do we worship? Through Jesus Christ, our mediator. The third question, when do we worship? When do we worship? Well, around 9.30, uh, usually, give or take a few minutes, right? Um, When do we worship? Kind of an odd question, but it's a question the text is pointing us to. The verses 25 to 27 spend some time reminding us how important it is to understand when we worship. And it's telling us we worship in the last days, and and that we need to remember that. Think of it. Think of it through through a sports metaphor. Uh, fourth quarter basketball is fourth quarter basketball played differently from first quarter basketball, right? Or, or think about uh, think about a race. Do you run the first mile the same way you run the last mile? Do you play the first inning the play the same way you, you play the, the ninth inning? Right? No. In, in that last lap, you give it everything you've got. You, 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 everything feels a little more significant. The stakes are higher. Everything feels there, there's there's more pressure. There's there's more uh, there's more intensity in that last that last leg of the race. And the Lord here is reminding us that we are worshiping in a sense in the, in the fourth quarter of the game. Uh, th- this is, these are the last days, and so that has an effect and an impact on on how we worship and the stakes that are there in our worship. Uh, verse 25 uh, reminds us, it warns us not to, not to refuse God. It's reminding us of those at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament who heard God's voice but basically stuck their fingers in their ears and, and, and refused to obey and humble themselves. They, they didn't pay attention to what God said. And, and then they went out in the wilderness uh, in the next, uh, the next uh, section there, uh, move, move into Numbers, and, and they, they drift away. They, they fail to obey him, and they fail to enter the promised land. They die in the wilderness outside of, of that promise. And then the author of the Hebrews says, the implication here is if they faced the judgment of God when they didn't listen to him in the first quarter, how much more are we going to face consequences we don't listen to him in these last days. Um, we are living in the last days that Christ has inaugurated with his coming. And everything has intensified in these last days. The blessings are better, greater, more expansive. And the warnings are even more intense as well. And, and, and the danger of neglecting Christ is more serious and more severe. And... Uh, the, the, the author continues here to tell us that, that, that uh, the day of judgment is coming, he says, in verse 27. Uh, the things that uh, are not of the kingdom of heaven will be shaken. This present evil world will be destroyed. So he says, think about these things. Think about when you worship. You're worshiping in these last days. You're worshiping when judgment is just about to fall. So how should that impact how we worship? Well, the stakes could not be higher, could they? It's dangerous to hear the word of God. You've got to do something with it. You can't just let it, let it bounce off. Because the stakes are higher, the judgment will be greater. The more privileges that we receive in Christ, the, the more dangers there are for neglecting them. 
We need to pay careful attention to the Word of God. We have to come to worship aware every time that there is something I need to repent of and grow in and and seek God's grace for and forgiveness for. Do not refuse the one who is speaking. Come to worship ready to listen and hear God's Word. So where do we worship? We worship in heaven. Through whom do we worship? Through Jesus Christ, our mediator. When do we worship? In these last days. Fourth question. Why do we worship? Why do we worship? Do we worship to earn God's favor? Uh, do we worship to, um, to, to, to get something from him, to, 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 to earn something from him that he is forced to give us? Every other religion has that kind of worship, that you go in order to say, well, if I do this, God will do this, right? The cosmic vending machine view of God. If I put this in and put in my order, that's what I'm going to get, right? And you're not there to have a nice time with the vending machine. You're there to get something from it and leave, right? That, that's why we worship in other, other religions, right? If, if I put in good works and I press the buttons for uh, good kids or a good career, then, uh, then, then, then I should get what I that I what I ordered, um, and uh, sometimes that way of thinking can come into our thinking as we come to worship the Lord. Um, but that's not the reason that uh, that we should come to worship. Verse twenty-eight uh, here uh, says this: Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It's a key point the verse is telling us. Why do we worship? We worship because we have received a kingdom from God, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Not something we're doing to earn God's favor, but we're here because He's graciously poured out His favor on us. He says that we've received it. We've received this kingdom by the grace of God. Uh, We've received this. We haven't earned it. We earned wrath and judgment and condemnation. We received grace and life and blessing. We receive not what we earned, but what Christ earned for our sakes. We received it uh, freely and graciously. God has not made us subjects in His kingdom. He's made us sons in His kingdom. Not just inhabitants of this kingdom, but heirs of the kingdom. Note that the text, note that the text says uh, that, that you have, you've received this kingdom. That it, is, that it is yours. It's given to us. The deed and the title of the kingdom have a name on them. And this kingdom, God says, cannot be shaken. Picture Noah's Ark. Right? Everything else is shaken, but God's people are brought safely through. And, and, and that's, that's the sense here. Nothing can threaten this kingdom. Nothing can shake this kingdom or destroy this kingdom. That this, this kingdom is held in the very heart of God. And if you belong to Christ in this kingdom, then uh, no evil can ultimately destroy you. So the author of this, this letter is saying this is why we should worship. Not because we're trying to earn God's favor or, 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 or get something from Him, but because of what He's already given us in Christ. That should, that should make us love to come to worship, run to God's house. That He has given us so much, so graciously and so freely, blessed us in Christ with an eternal salvation in His kingdom. It should be a delight to come. And rejoice in Him and adore Him and give thanks to Him. 
for these things. So this is why we worship. We worship because we receive this kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then the fifth question, the last question here, how should we then worship? In light of all these things, how should we worship? Verse 28, very straightforward, says, let us offer to God acceptable service or, or worship. It's another way to translate that. Uh, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. The, the words there mean a, a, an emotion of profound respect and reverence. That should characterize the whole of the Christian life, but especially worship on the Lord's day in the Lord's house with his people. Uh, worshiping God with reverence and awe means not that we're stuffy and uptight in worship and joyless in worship, but we come to worship with a sense that we're in the presence of God, or the profound emotion of being in the very presence of God, this great respect for God, not coming flippantly or casually into the presence of God, not coming proud into the presence of God, but coming humbly with our hearts ready to hear, our minds ready to engage, our wills ready to bow to Him. Let me speak very practically at this point. It takes preparation to do this. Um, so you, you need to take time in prayer. You need to take time to, 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 to get your heart ready to come like this. I'm not saying you need to clean yourself up to come to Christ in worship, but you need to spend some time praying, Lord, help me to be ready for worship. Make my, make my, make my heart ready for worship. I don't know about you, but I don't usually roll out of bed uh, with my heart rejoicing automatically in the Lord. It takes a little time to open the Word of God and, uh, and, and get down on my knees in prayer and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and take my heart to the Lord again. Uh, let me challenge you to do that, especially getting ready for the Lord's Day as it comes each week. Uh, uh, take, take the steps that are needed so that you have time and so that your family has time to be ready to do that uh, for the Lord's Day so that you come you come ready to hear, uh, ready to listen to him, ready to worship him with your heart warm uh, and ready to adore him. Let me also, brothers and sisters, as we consider how important these things are, how vital worship is, um, let, us, let, us, let us as a church resolve to be more committed to worship. Worship is the most precious thing, and it is the most valuable thing. And it is the, 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 the biggest and, and best priority God has given to his church. And so let us, as a church, commit to being more devoted to it this year. To be more devoted to, to worship him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And especially more committed to come uh, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And give ourselves to worshiping him. What will it take to make you miss worship with him? What will it take to make you miss worship with him? How easy is it for you to let something else take the place of worship? I challenge you, brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, to devote yourselves to worship. This is the highest and best thing that you can do, the best privilege we can enjoy. And this is the primary objective that Christ has given to his church, to be worshipers, those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So brothers and sisters, by his grace, let's strive after these things. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he purchased us with his own precious blood, that we might have a place in your presence and receive the fullness of blessing that is ours in him. 
Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to resolve to worship you. And Lord, help us to repent and, and turn, from, uh, turn from our sin and turn to Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.